Hello, this is Malcolm and Simone, and we are excited to be here with you today. What's the topic today? Gender euphoria. And well, the transmaxing movement, which yes. So, let's, so let's, yeah, I mean that's that's what transmaxing, Malcolm, is all about. It's about gender euphoria, not gender dysphoria. It's about transition for gain rather than transition because something is well, let's let's Not talk right. about the Transmax movement <laughs> in sort of the larger social context here, right? So broadly speaking, um, it is a movement of uh, young men, predominantly, who believe that society will treat them better and they will have better odds in society if they become young women. They are not transitioning because of gender dysphoria. They are not transitioning because they don't feel like young men. They are transitioning purely because they think they've been dealt a raw card by being born male. And they think that they will have an easier time in life if they do become a female. And um, I mean, this is a movement that I have tremendous sympathy for because I can understand if you buy in to all of this gender war stuff, especially what the, um, you know, the men's rights movement and the red pill movement and the MGTOW movement, all of which are movements, I have sympathies to many of their complaints, but if you buy into the extreme iteration of their arguments, and these movements have been around, you know, about 10 years now in terms of like really being dominant in online culture. Uh, and so you're a man and you grow up being constantly told how hard it is to be a man um, and how society doesn't care about you. And then that is to some extent validated by your personal experiences and, and, and what you see in the world. Well, this seem, can seem like a really appealing option. Yeah. Um, and uh, at a societal level, it's also really interesting. So we talk about in our book on how sort of cultures evolve to deal with different things. Uh, typically, when you have a culture with a high level of polyamory, uh, no, well, not really polyamory, sorry, polygyny. You don't really see polyamory in diverse cultures. Polygyny. Uh, many women to one man. Um, when you see that in, in, a, in a culture of persistence through generations, one of the things that you will also see tied to these cultures is higher rates of terrorism, the dishonesty, and often uh, 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 murder. Um, if you contrast them with monogamous cultures that are their neighbors, and this is directly correlated with a number of unconnected men in these societies, unpartnered men in these societies. And this makes sense from a biological perspective. I mean, their biology is like basically like, ah, you have to do anything you can to find a partner. Um, and there are, we go over into their books, there are exceptions to this and they're they're narrow and, and whatever. But uh, one way that some cultures have sort of evolved to deal with this is when a guy happens to be uh, born gay is they will force them to transition. And you see this in some, conservative Islamic cultures. And it's a way of artificially increasing the number of women in a society. I mean, you're both eliminating a guy who likely was unsatisfied and, and not going to find a partner and not going to be accepted by that society. And you are creating a new woman who can satisfy one of these other low status men in the society who may have turned to terrorism or some other uh, socially caustic act. And so we predicted before the transvaxing movement had started that we were going to begin to see pressure on low status men to transition merely because they were low status men. And the first place you really saw this to take off was this sort of 
cult. You can Google like the, the I don't think it was called transmaxing at the time, but the gender reassignment cult that started on 4chan. Oh, these, yeah, 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 yeah. They go around and they try to um, pressure young men into uh, transitioning to build sort of harems of men, uh, well, of, of, of now women. I mean, I don't know if they count was as it, Was it called the, the femboy movement? Was that it? It was femboys. Femboys. Well, right. yeah. So they wanted them to maintain this. And this is an interesting thing about the transmax movement. They don't push transitioning in a traditional context. So they don't push uh, ge uh, genital reassignment, for example. They push uh, hormone therapy and they push um, uh, top surgery. But for bottom surgery, they're like, well, you can be somebody's fetish. So, you know, and I love a lot of communities. They're like, don't dehumanize me. This community is like, ah, an area I can gain in the marketplace. This dynamic is actually really underrated because honestly, there are so many people who have very high standards who could get someone technically out of their league just because they happen to feature a fetish of that person. And yet yeah. so many of these people are like, oh no, I, I would never, never date him because, you know, he's into, you know, my... I don't know, gnarled feet. I have no idea. Um, my overlarge boobs, who knows what it is, right? Um, but no, like that's the whole point. And it's so, one of the reasons why I love the transmaxing community is for that is like, there's so much pragmatism. There's so much like, it's, but it's not just pragmatism. It's like enthusiastic leveraging of market asymmetries in a way that I just find to be wonderful. It's, it's a joyful opportunism. Right. Well, and for some of them accepting their lot in life as it is, um, I mean, it is true that if, you know, uh, uh, for for some men, because of the way that they're born, you know, if you're born uniquely unattractive and uh, not very smart. And hey, or just born. uniquely feminine. Um, and that's, oh, yeah. that's another argument that's made in this community is um, in, for example, just broader like M to F trans subreddits for example there's some gatekeeping going on where they're like oh trans maxers aren't real trans people you know transitioning is actually really difficult this is actually something that you know you feel it's because you feel bad um and there's there there have been some posts where people have been like well actually no transitioning doesn't have to be difficult you know maybe you just inject estrogen once a week and it it you know things actually are working out really well like there's a lot of people who are making arguments who are who actually like no, really, like, I just make a lot more sense as a woman. Um, and I, I feel like, honestly, like, along both genders, um, like, based on what, however you're born and what, what you've been assigned at birth, like, that in some cases, you just work out better slightly on the other side. And this is something that shows up, right, with gender and sexuality and gender in general and the way that we manifest. It's, it's all averages, you know, that these are average collections of traits where men tend to trend in certain clusters and women tend to trend in different clusters. And sometimes all your clusters are a little bit closer to the other end um, because you're a little bit of an outlier for whatever sex you've been assigned at birth. So it's not even, it's not even that, which is interesting. Well, so I also think another thing here is we are moving towards a society where people are okay with experimenting with new social models of gender. Um, and gender means different things. And this, I think, is really fascinating. So um, one of the, 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 you know, 
I would say if I had a complaint with the larger trans movement, it's like, this is what gender means sometimes, some poor people in the movement. And, and this is like the only thing gender can mean. Um, and it's super sacred to a person's identity. And it's really, really important to a person's identity. And that is not true of all cultures. Not all cultures relate to gender that way. This is just the way that the modern dominant progressive culture within our society relates to it. And I think the way that trans vaxxers are not trans to a large extent, is they are relating to gender in almost a post-trans world way. Huh. They are like, gender is not important to who I am. It is something I have control over and I can choose. And I am taking ownership of my gender to give myself an easier lifestyle. And that's just fascinating. And it, and it, and it runs really contrary to the predominant society's view of gender. And I want to, I mean, for, for me, I wouldn't say I necessarily agree with either of these views of gender. Uh, obviously we have a very unique way that we engage with gender. Like we see it as being something that's a temporary thing while you're young and not really relevant when you're married um, and, and, and something that you use to sort of help sort partners. But this is just the way our family uses it, right? Um, and I think that it, it's cool that we live in this society where there's all of these different cultural ways of relating to gender. And I wouldn't look down on any cultural system of relating to gender until we had data on how it was affecting people who grew up in it. Um, and, and we can argue whether or not we're getting that data now. Uh, but I, I think, you know, if the predominant society right now isn't working. And it's not. I mean, the suicide rates across our predominant society right now are crazy high for, for use compared to, you know, what they have been in the past, the level of despondency, the level of nihilism. Um, so I, I don't think it's working. So, you know, because the predominant social cultural group isn't working, I'm always going to support anyone who's trying something weird and different. Yeah. Well, and part of me also wonders if right now we're making a much bigger deal of gender than we have historically. I think you're right. We, we are. And I think that in the past, um, if a guy just wanted to manifest more as a woman and a woman just wanted to manifest more as a man, that like, for the most part, people didn't really stop them, um, even if you were poor. Um, so like, I mean, we have, um, uh, I, I, I wish I could find this. I was, I was watching uh, historians discuss this on YouTube and it was in the context of um, sex workers in the Middle Ages, I think. Mm. And they pointed out how um, one clearly male to female trans sex worker got in trouble for something, but it had nothing to do with being trans. It had something to do with like paying taxes or something. Like, so it just like, it was, you know, it was very clear well, that it was and, fine and you're for really them. Into court culture. So talk a bit about where you saw this in court culture. Yeah. So the, the brother of Louis the Fourteenth, famously, I mean, he was a, a military hero in many ways. He was extremely masculine. Um, but he also would, he had, uh, he had a, a famous boyfriend. He would dress in elaborate women's clothing. Um, and that was just like, well, that's what the, he did. That's an interesting thing that you bring up here. So in today's society, we would draw really thick, thick boundaries between being gay, being trans, and uh -huh. being a crossdresser. Uh -huh. These are- but, but also like being a, a super masculine warrior. It's like if you well, combine... no, no, no. But the point I'm making, I'm talking about a fence. Uh. Today, if you were like, 
if you use somebody having a boyfriend as a sign that they were trans, that would be a very offensive thing to say because being gay has nothing to do with being trans, yeah. which has nothing to do with being a cross-dresser. So dressing in women's clothes yeah. is not seen as, as part of being trans. You can have actually the vast majority of people by today's statistics that, that do men who dress in women's clothes are straight men. Uh, 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 yeah, they're just straight men, straight cis men. Well, uh, and I'm not also. saying that Louis XIV's brother- The point brother... I'm making is that historically- these are modern constructs to an extent. Ah. Cross-dressing, trans, gay. They are important modern constructs for community and self-identification in our society. And they do describe clusters of behavior patterns like uh, uh, people who are born or, or people who are male who are attracted to male genitals or people who are, uh, you know, who prefer to have dysphoria or don't have dysphoria, but want to uh, present as actually another gender instead of just like another gender for the purposes of art, uh, which is really what cross-dressing is often seen as, but it also can be um, sort of a, we go into much more detail in this in the practice of antisexuality. But um, the, these distinctions didn't exist in other cultures and they didn't necessarily exist in history. So when you would have people who related to gender or sexuality in unusual ways, like this historical figure that you're talking about, um, there wasn't this concern is, is this person gay? Are they trans? Are they a cross-dresser? It's just, they were just doing whatever they wanted to because there wasn't, at least within their class status and their privileges in society, there wasn't any cost to doing whatever they wanted to. So they weren't really concerned no, about I mean, I think there is a cost and there's a cost to being different, yeah. but oh, they yeah, were just always the cost of being different. And I, yeah, and that, that was, that was, I think that's the thing is it, it was just his thing. It wasn't, Oh my gosh, he's doing this thing with gender slash sex, whatever it is that they wanted, you know, but it was more just like, Oh, he's that he's doing his thing. You know, it would, it would be just as weird if someone like, I don't know, dressing as a child, actually, that would probably be seen as even weirder. Um, come to think of it. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in where things go next. You know, mm -hmm. I think the reason why the Transmax movement interests me so much is it's a sign that a portion of our society is moving past uh, strict gender constructs mm -hmm. and sees gender as a tool. Like they do recognize there are differences between men and women. There are differences between social roles for men and women, but gender is something under my control in a world where it's easy to access hormone therapy and stuff like that. And how, how do I now relate to this change in what gender means? Um, and I think that one of the things we talk about in our book is that, uh, you know, to actually identify as trans in our society is enormously costly um, uh, in terms of, well, it can be, it depends on your social circle and stuff like that. But broadly, it, it, it's pretty costly in, in most of the world's cultures today. Well, I think it's made more cost, honestly. I think it's made more costly by all the cultural baggage around it because now people yeah, feel no, like choked that. up. Like, oh my, I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know how to yeah, deal I don't with this. Whereas in the past, be like, that has all this oh, yeah, this is baggage. your name now? Like, okay. And now, yeah, like people yeah. just kind of pick up on it, you know? But, but what's really interesting is we argue that the level of prodromal transness or sort of like below like these are people who'd probably prefer to identify as the other gender but just don't is actually probably pretty high in society um and what we use for that is if you look at people when they get a choice of gender presentation 
So by that, what I mean is in video games, in uh, uh, furries, when they choose uh, what they wear, about 20% of people, uh, men or women in video games, prefer to play as the opposite gender. And there are many reasons this could be, but I suspect one of it is that volume impulse. There is a volume tied to what gender do I want to identify as impulse? Um, and that people who have a low iteration of this volume meter, but it's on the opposite side of the gender they were born, uh, they find release in recreational environments, um, which would indicate that the level of quote unquote, this type of trans is actually really common um, and is hidden by the fact that we have in our society confused what is um, a, a, a cluster of um, impulses uh, and identity, uh, well, a cluster of impulses with a uh, political and cultural community that has a lot of other uh, baggage to it, like you were saying. Well, what I'd really love uh, to dig deeper into is other new ways of engaging and identifying with gender. Um, I think in online spaces, we'll see some interesting stuff, but also new cultures that arise. So, you know, with the rise of artificial wombs and IVG and what IVG will allow is, you know, gay couples, for example, have kids that are hundred percent biologically theirs. You know, if you're forming new family structures, do you build new types of genders for roles in this that are recurring across family structures in these communities? Like, are there, emer and, and talk, maybe you have like three people in a family, right? Like three parents or something like that. Do they end up sorting into the same types of roles within the family unit? One of the things that Simone and I have always been really surprised about is how much we sort intertraditional um, masculine and feminine roles within the family. Like Simone, your domain is the house. Your domain is infants. My domain is older kids and my domain is, uh, you know, uh, yard work, any sort of manual labor, any sort of fixing, anything that goes broken in the house. Um, and yet, uh, you know, we didn't sort into these out of any desire to fulfill sort of a masculine or feminine role. It was just, I don't know, maybe the, the sets of skills we came into things with or like, why do you think things sorted out that way? I think that that has to do with average tendencies and preferences that like male and female brains tend to have. And I think that a lot of that has to do with our hormonal makeup, um, but maybe also just some structural things. Um, yeah. I, well, I mean, look at, look at also just the, the difference between someone who went through male pu puberty versus female puberty. It would be kind of weird if people who went through female puberty were on average more likely to be inclined to do like big heavy lifting outside, like the kind that you do when that's like literally so much harder for me. Um, yeah. So I, I think that has more to do with it. What do you think? Well, actually, so this is an interesting point we make in the book. And I think that this ties to a point I was making earlier where I say a lot of this stuff is cultural and we pretend that it's not cultural, like it's a truism, but, but it is cultural to an extent. And I think a good example of that is both you and I, neither of us really identify strongly with our gender. Like we just don't care. Like it's, I, I, I feel no impulse to really strongly be a guy. And within the, um, the, the LGBT community, this would be called uh, being agender, which is a type of genderqueer, uh, which is a type of trans. 
Um, and uh, people, you can look this up. I actually had people disagree with me on this who, who were like progressives and thought they were up to date with progressive culture. They're like, no, that's not considered gender queer, just if you're agender. And I was like, no, like, look it up. All of the major LGBT organizations right now would consider that the definition of gender queer, any sort of non-normal gender uh, impulse. But what's interesting is despite this, I still identify as a man. I have no interest in identifying as anything else. And anyone of my cultural background would just because that's the way that I and my culture relates to gender. Um, and you still identify as a woman, um, even though you don't like have this impulse towards identifying as a woman. Um, and I actually suspect that this might be where a portion of the anti-trans uh, sentiment comes from in our society. Hmm. Because if you look at uh, homophobic tendencies in the population, they are actually the highest among people with very low sex drives. There was a study done on this and I found it really interesting. Oh, um, and it's okay. likely because these people can't model what it would feel like to be, like if you're really attracted to women and somebody comes to you and they're like, I'm really only attracted to men. You're like, oh, I get it. Like I can understand why you're making such a fuss about this. If you have a very low sex drive, you'd be like, why, why are you campaigning for special rights? Like, why is this a thing for you? So if that's also true for people who have very low gender identities, and it turns out a big portion of the population, much bigger than has low sex drives, which the data seems to indicate with something like 35 to 40% of the population is like us, like just does not really care that much about how they're gender identified in public or whatever. Um, that uh, you would have this higher rate of why do people care so much about this? Why are they asking for, you know, why are they disrupting like my day and my politics to bring this up as an issue? And it would lead to that uh, negative stigma where it may not otherwise exist. I don't know. Well, I, and I think that's, that's maybe just the future is people are not going to care that much. It's just not going to matter. There are going to be so many different ways of approaching this. A lot of people just won't care. A lot of people will pick and choose elements of what they manifest. And that's like, honestly, I'm super, I'm super ready for that. I, I mean, like, yeah, a, well, and especially with online avatars, you know, entering that world. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it starts to matter a lot less. Well, so then the, the, the hypothesis was conservative culture that it would have against this position is you cannot have healthy families, healthy marriages, and raise kids who want to continue that culture if you don't buy into traditional gender roles. And um, I mean, unfortunately, we're not a counterexample to that because we live pretty traditional gender roles. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I, 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 and I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. We may find that there is some model of non-traditional gender roles that can create a replicable and growing and, and, and healthy. When I say healthy, I mean a family that, and a culture that's breeding above replacement rate and the kids want to stay in that culture, we may see that uh, emerge and we may not see that emerge. I mean, we're either in the greatest collapse of cultures in human history is about to happen, this huge erasure of cultural diversity across our society or a sort of a new Cambrian explosion of cultures. where We're getting a chance to try so many different cultures because now the way you can culturally win is, is not by fighting other groups. I mean, in a world where almost everyone is, is declining in, in fertility rates other than people living in like desperately poor countries, uh, you win within developed countries just by having more kids in other cultural groups and having those kids want to stay in that cultural group. Well, I would actually just, here's what I would say though, to the conservative point is that many conservatives, when they picture, you know, the, the balance of masculinity and femininity and having those strong examples for children who are raised in a family, I think that they're using 
jokingly hilarious caricatures of what gender <laughs> is. And when you actually look at different cultures throughout history and what femininity, femininity and masculinity looked like in those cultures, many of them, like men exhibited what would be seen as much more female characteristics in some way and vice versa. Um, like uh, Scots-Irish backcountry people during the colonial era, like, you know, p visitors from other cultures would just be horrified to see like a woman go out back and slaughter a cow and then come in, take the bloody apron off and like serve tea. That's very you, though. That's <laughs> our cultural background. This is our people. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that's the thing is that's not like you're growing up in a, a family without gender dimorphism. You know, I think the the key is for kids to grow up with, with, with parents who have different roles that they may or may not fill to see that they, there are different, you know, characters that they can aspire to in the future. Um, but that there's a lot more flexibility when it comes to these gender norms than you would think, even when you go back to much more traditional. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a misnomer that society used to have these, you know, the, the, the way that people think there was some cultures in the 50s that were elevated by sitcoms that presented, as we argue, that the nuclear family was not a historic way of structuring the family. It used to be the mm -hmm. corporate family was a historic way of structuring where everyone worked together, but also these strong gender differences. Um, and I, I love this, this joke that we have is that we have a generation of young men today who grew up being catfished by uh, women pretending to be super hot or, or, or grew up catfished by men pretending to be super hot, attractive women in online forums. And now they're being catfished by, uh, again, scrawny men but but this time pretending to be super hot, super attractive male philosophers in online forums. Because if you look at the uh, thumbnails that are used within these communities, they are often you know of these ultra uh, ripped guys uh, with with you know the 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 very chattish aesthetic. But uh, if you actually you know whatever one of these people gets revealed to the public, you find out that they um, they 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 do not look that masculine. Um, and it's because of this, which is also really interesting. We talk about different relation to gayness, for example, the homoeroticism of the far right in the way that they relate to the masculine identity is really fascinating, uh, which you see throughout. And, and the far right is really beginning to embrace this, like with, with Bronze Age Pervert, really embraces this homoerotic aesthetic uh, in a way that I find to be really fascinating. I, I, I really like him as a philosopher and as an artist in the way he produces his philosophy. But I think I get it though. I think yeah. I get it. I, and I think, it, I actually think it's distinctly not sexual, um, even though, and, and I think again, it's, yeah. it's, it's the no, way I don't, that I don't we, think it's sexual, but it is homoerotic in aesthetic. In aesthetic, yeah. But a lot of that's because of the way that we have charged a lot of these things and started to conflate a lot of these things. Yeah. And I think at the end, the funny thing is it's like a uniquely non-sexual kind of, it is It is romantic in the sense of like idealized, pedestalized, um, but it is not sexual. And it's, it's actively unsexual in the fact that what you're talking about is men appreciating masculinity totally in the absence of the female gaze, in the absence of female onlookers, competitors, um, 
females to be won over. These aren't men positioning and peacocking and fighting with each other over women. These are men being men. And I think that that's so interesting because like, of course, like my first impression when I, when I see stuff like that is I'm like, that looks, yeah, like I'm assuming this is gay content, but it's not. And that's, Again, like I'm so looking hey, forward you to like it. What? Do I like I mean, it? No, you like Bronze Age pervert. You're you're a big fan. I'm this. really no, I'm really not into the look. Um oh, you okay. are you are you are my type. Um I, I do not I do not do muscular ripped. I, I want pale and thin and um smart and I'm sorry. I sorry, not sorry. I can't. But yeah, no, I it's really, it's really not my type. And I, I think I, it's hard for many guys who aspire to this like ripped ideal to understand that a huge swath of women are not at all into this. Although it's weird considering how popular like a lot of non-ripped aesthetics are. Um, but anyway, I think it's hard for many men to realize. I, th- I think actually um, in the same way that not all men are into like the bimbo Barbie girl, in fact, I, in many ways, I feel like more women do the bimbo Barbie girl look for other women. I think that many men do the the Bronze Age pervert, like ripped man. Oh yeah, yeah. that's actually man. for like, other men. I, I, it's I for other bimbo men. Barbie girl, and I'm like, that is so gross looking. Like, I I would not. Yeah, but again, and it's, I think it's the same that. with women in makeup. Women wear makeup for other women. Yeah. Men get swole for other men. That's a great way to put it. It is male makeup. It's something that matters to other men, but not really to women that much. Yes. And with that, I need to go do a gender dimorphic thing. um, That that is to say, make dinner. Taco night. Taco night. Thank you for making wonderful dinner for the family. Thank you for picking up the boys. (laughs) Love you, Malcolm. I love you too, Simone.